Story number one, Blinded by the Light, written by Alt Cipher. Sergeant, Ambassador Ho said, inches from his face, did you show up to work drunk again? The words were clipped and hard to distinguish behind the ambassador's clenched teeth. No, sir, Sergeant O'Shaughness, he said, his eyes squinting but open. I'm hungover, but I'm not drunk. You damn well better get your crap together, Sergeant, Ambassador Ho said. The negotiation is at a critical point, and if one of my senior guards screws this up, I will make it my life's work too. The door was open and Dragon Delegation strolled in. They were graceful, seeming so to float above the ground as they entered. Ambassador Ho knew it to be an optical illusion which they played up in negotiations, but it did little to lessen the natural reaction of awe. He tossed a final skull at Sergeant O'Shaughnessy before turning to the aliens with his bright white smile. Good morning, Ambassador, Ho said. Welcome back. I hope your evening was restful. Not as restful as we'd hoped, the Dragon Ambassador said. One of our junior members seems to have been out until quite late. Yes, Ambassador Ho said. I can see how that would be worrying. That's a trait both our races share. It is fortunate that you should mention that, Ambassador, said the Dragon. This junior member was out with one of your people. Ambassador Ho's blood ran cold. He spent years working on this negotiation. His career was at stake in these meetings. If one of his subordinates had done something reckless, all the ambassador's work would evaporate like an early morning dew. Oh, it was all the ambassador could say. A sergeant something or the other. The dragon continued. I'm afraid my underling was having some difficulty recording too many details from last night. It seems that both our races also share fondness for a weakness for ethanol in all of its various forms. A sergeant, you say? Ambassador Ho said. He kept his face rigid as a mask of politeness. Out of the corner of his eye, he called Sergeant O'Shaughnessy standing at attention in perfect military form. From what we could tell, the dragon said, there were stories of some homeworld that was shared with a great many attendants at the same establishment. My junior delegate told me that the sergeant had the room in some sort of ritual wherein they told the story collaboratively. I'm sorry, collaborative storytelling... Ambassador Ho felt the ground shifting beneath his feet. Until he could stabilize himself, he felt it was best to follow the counterpart's lead. It was a strange phenomenon. From the way my underling described it, the dragon continued. There must have been three score humans in there, yet every one of them could relate the story flawlessly. In fact, relating the story, sometimes multiple times, seemed to bring them great joy. That's, uh, fascinating, the Ambassador Ho said. He was, very slowly, starting to form a scene in his head. O'Shaughnessy, would you happen to know of a place that might fit this description? Sergeant O'Shaughnessy cleared his throat and said, I've heard of a karaoke bar in the Fishman District. I might fit the description, Mr. Ambassador. I see, the Ambassador Ho said. Tell me, Ambassador, did your junior delegate happen to have any details of these stories? Quite a few, yes, the dragon said. There was one about a great proud warrior who would compare with a vicious guardian beast. I believe his name was Brown. Leroy Brown, maybe, Ambassador Ho said. Yes, that sounds right, the dragon said. 
there was another story of more philosophical in nature. It asked the same questions that has bedeviled our people for ages, on the nature of reality and what it means to be real. These questions invariably drove the questioner mad as he turns to the matriarch of his family for solace. I'm sorry I don't, Ambassador Ho stated. Sergeant O'Shaughnessy coughed out one word, Bohemian. Did it perhaps end with the saying nothing really matters, the ambassador asked. I'm not certain, the dragon said. My inferior was a bit fuzzy on the details, but the last story he told us was where one of you humans faced the devil himself in some sort of contest. The human struggles against the devil in some sort of artistic endeavor, from what my inferior could remember, and eventually bests him. The human wins some item made of gold. Did this concept happen to place a called Georgia by any chance? The ambassador, Ho, asked. That place sounds familiar, the dragon said. Perhaps it did. My underling tells me he has never seen such relationships amongst our people as he saw last night. This is the first trip off world and so I'm afraid the temptation to explore was too much. However, he has spoken very highly of your species and I believe that we'll have much to offer each other. Perhaps, when our negotiations conclude, we can find this mysterious sergeant and we can all accompany him to the storytelling house. Ambassador Ho smiled. He wasn't sure if it was genuine or fake, but he smiled nonetheless. Perhaps we can, Ambassador. Now, if you'd like to get started. Late that evening, long after the diplomatic delegation had left and long after their work was done, Ambassador Ho went to find Sergeant O'Shaughnessy. Without saying a word, Ambassador Ho pulled out two large denomination bills from inside his pocket and handed them to the sergeant. I'll buy the next round, sergeant. Sergeant O'Shaughnessy took the cash and smiled. Yes, sir, he said. Shall I reserve the table at the karaoke bar when we're done, sir? Yeah, I suppose, Ambassador Ho said. But maybe we should review the song list first, make sure there's nothing risque. But, sir... The sergeant said, I have the most amazing cover of Baby Cop back, and I'm sure the Dragon Ambassador would appreciate. End of story number one. Story number two. Why humans can't have nice things. Written by Wyatt Smith. Esteemed squad over leader Tori raised one of his crests above the eyes and all-too-human manner that he had come to pick up during his last few lunar cycles, training with the new trade and military partners. While humans weren't new to the Intergalactic Council of the Greater Fifth Stratum, they were still a rarity in the interstellar trade and peacekeeping, or, to put it another way, they were little more than a galactic hex from a solar system with too few suns, too many rocks, and not nearly enough common sense. Be that as it may, it was the ESO Toll's duty to introduce the tools of the IGC G5S to humanity's addition to the neighborhood peacekeeping force. Thankfully, the 50 humans that had qualified for training with these squad groups knew how to get in line and stay there, even while some lab jockey was demonstrating the more convenient equipment. Though it was unusual that the squad appeared to be, um, bored. The Corleum Tall wasn't an expert in reading human facial features, but after three lunar cycles of boot camp, as the humans called it, he felt reasonably certain that despite being shown a Class IV heavy assault plasma rifle, the humans appeared to be losing interest in the commission scientists continued her presentation on the basics of the weapon's core functions and design. Hell, 
At this point, most sophants in their position would be flexing like younglings in a candy store. With a grimace, he glanced at the scientist and made a hidden gesture using one of his vestigial insectoid wings, hidden from the view behind his back, encouraging the intelligence officer to wrap it up. They had both read the reports on what happened when humans got bored, and neither wanted to have to deal with cleaning up after the mess spontaneously appeared and their inactivity approached critical mass. The scientist on stage before the assembled human soldiers set aside the assault plasma rifle on the bench next to the podium and picked up a bulky bag marked with the Corleum warning symbols. While the bright colors weren't just outside the human range of color detection, the symbols themselves were sufficient to catch the interest of every person there, the ESO included. And lastly, the scientist began, we have our field tool, officially referred to as the Nanomechanical and Molecular Armature, or NAMA, or N-Tool, uses a complex cluster of nanites and controlled molecular reactions to print or produce any tool or chemical reaction coded into the controlled apparatus. The officer reached into the bag and removed a case which we slung over the shoulder to make it look human backpack that rested just below her vestigial wings, and cinched tight across her chest and waist. She then lifted up her metal half-cycle band with its place on her head and just above the eye crests. Around her wrists, she strapped a pair of thick bands and allowed for four-fingered handful range of motion, if a bit tight. ESO Tall hid his amusement as the scientist now had the attention of every single human, all of whom became tense when the scientist reached out and grasped the air in front of her, only to have her hand close around a small wrench that seemed to materialize out of nothing. As you can see, this is perhaps the most useful part of our kit, but unfortunately it comes with a caveat. This is essentially a mobile platform for Galactic Standard Nanofabricator. However... To make mobile sacrifices had to be made. In the decision between power and processing, power won out. So, it makes use of the radio neuro interface to allow the NAMA to adapt to the user's spatial reasoning and predictive patterning to skip over some of the processing requirements for replication. The scientist dropped the wrench and it dissolved away, and she flipped her hand over and revealed a small flame hovering over her now shielded palm the protective covering having grown from the wristband. Because of this um, shortcut, only one in every few thousand sofans are actually capable of utilizing the Nama at any practical level, and even then, it takes dozens of lunar cycles to become adept. Maintaining a thought process necessary to produce visual and execute the encoded schematics takes training, although the truly best can learn to adapt encoded specs without modifications to the underlying code base. For example, she closed her eyes and a look of strain flowed appeared on her face, visible even to the humans before her, and only just come to understand the basics of Corleon physiology. After a pregnant pause, the flame in her palm slowly shifted to the color spectrum from orange to red to pure blue, denoting the now pure combustion occurring in the outstretched hand. After opening her eyes to confirm the shift, she let out a flame go and her body relaxedly sagged in relief belying the mental toll initiating such a reaction. The humans didn't move to a parade rest, but Toll could read them like an open book. Now they were excited. It was a shame, though, that with the numbers posted here, the training facility wouldn't likely find an individual capable of using the in-tool by any appropriate level. But that would be for a later day. For now, 
They needed to get up to speed in the practical. Half a lunar cycle later. He is so tall sat at his desk, tapping away at a digital screen in front of him, completing the last personal profiles of the human squad. All told, everything was surprisingly normal, despite some of the human horror stories that he'd shared over the net. Everything was routine. True to the range scores were statistically better than his normal trainees by a decent margin, but everything else was around a galactic average. Combined with the discipline that they had when they arrived, he was preparing to recommend the humans be adopted into all IGC G5S training facilities. Tor allowed himself a small moment to chagrin remembering his earlier reservations about the assignment. But now the training was all but done, he was looking forward to the next batch of human recruits, especially if they were as easy to handle as the first. It was during this moment the serene contemplation that the door of the esteemed squad over leader's office slammed open with a metal thud. Standing in the doorway was a young junior squad leader whose normally pale purple complexion was almost vibrant blue. While he was gasping for breath, Tall stood, setting aside the profiles for later. Report, soldier. The young Corlean nodded and straightened to up to attention. Yes, he is so, sir. Direct command from IGC. Humans are denied access to all Nama units until further notice. Tall furrowed his eye crests and his wings flexed in irritation, he said. The command provide any additional information. The junior squad leader quickly stepped forward, placing a data jet in Tall's hands. Yes, sir. However, it's been classified for your eyes only, sir. Tall waved a dismissal at the junior squad leader and turned back to his desk. Not allowed access to end tools, he thought. His own face grew blue as he realized why he was up here filling out the personal profiles instead of down in the training grounds. Even as he bolted for the door, he cursed his naive thought that doing paperwork would be better use of his time than watching Sofans blindly waving their hands around doing nothing. And while no ESO would ever be caught running... He still walked fast enough that he'd hoped that he could catch the humans in time before they began the end tool training. Whatever ESO Tall had been expecting upon arriving at the training grounds certainly hadn't been what he was currently watching. The scientists that had first demonstrated the end tool stood next to him with a horrified look on her face. She was so blue. He was certain that she was going to wind up being stuck like that. As for the humans... That's some um, laughter, isn't it, Overleader? asked the scientist quietly. Tall nodded slowly. Yes, yes it is. Can you please explain to me what I'm looking at here? The scientist fluttered his small wings and took a deep breath to calm herself. Well, the usual practice with the simulators, letting the humans establish an understanding of how the Nama should react if they were positive match for the interface. They all performed surprisingly well but then that's how the simulation is supposed to work. Then we set them up here and brought out a few end tools to speed up testing. What are you looking at as well? Um, Tall perked an eye crest and a still all too familiar expression as the human launched himself into the air, assisted by some sort of chemical propellant being ignited from the base of his pack. Two more humans were demonstrating close quarters combat with metallic weapons that flashed in out of existence sparking against each other as they sought to outmaneuver each other in weapon choice. A fourth human was launching flares into the sky that exploded with a glittering rainbow of colors to the amusement of the other humans around her. And the last human was off to the side poking dirt. 
These are not standard issue encodings, I presume. Toll's question was more of a statement, but the scientist chose to reply all the same. No, sir. Our best guess is somehow the human neurophysiology is um, hyper-compatible with the NAMA neurointerface. Also, funds have an extraordinary level for spatial reasoning and pattern recognition compared to most life. They have to for tool use, amongst other reasons. But humans are, um... The scientist trailed off, struggling to put words into what was happening in front of the two Corellians. While the ESO and the intelligence counterpart were trying to figure out how to put the cat back into the bag, the human that had been poking the dirt suddenly jumped up, shouting out in apparent joy. But before either Corellian or could react, the human gestured for the others to step back and held up his hands in front of him, his face suddenly contorting in concentration or possibly pain. Starting from the point directly below the outstretched hands, a crater of about 1.5 meters in diameter appeared, the soil rising up and compacting into a rotating sphere that became smaller and smaller with each passing second. Sweat beaded around the human's face, a trait Tall was glad his species lacked, but still bewildered by what he was seeing. He did nothing to stop the human as the mass of dirt slowly began to glow with the heat as it was compressed further. But wait! The scientist choked out, shocked by the display of control. But all that was heard was a sudden sharp crack of thunder followed by the collapse of the molten rock in front of the human. The red-hot earth pulled in the crater at his feet and began to cool while his end tool shut down with a high-pitched electronic whine. The humans cheered for the now-exhausted human who slumped to the ground, looking like he'd managed to outrun a Corrin hunting beast. He is so tall, however, only turned to look at the scientist next to him, his own skin blue as hers. At least now he knew why the IGC made the command it had, the data chip now forgotten, lying on his desk. End of story number two. Story number three. Why Humans Can't Have Nice Things Part Two. Written by Wired Smith. Silence permeated the stale air of the inter-office meeting room. The room was bare except for a communications pedestal at the center, a single double-door entrance on one wall, and a ring of two dozen leaning stands around the outer edge of the room. He, as so tall, rested against one of the padded stands, only his military discipline restraining the movement of the small, clear, insectoid wings on his back. To his right stood esteemed squad intelligence leader, Dale, who lacked his ingrained fortitude as she was rocking forward and backwards in her stand. The two of them weren't alone in the meeting room. The other stand had a holographic projections of the other IGC G5S Peacekeeper squad overleaders as well as the commanding officer. The glorified hive leader for the 16th hive of the Greater Fifth Stratum, G.H.L. Nurmal has earned his post by merit of decorating military and peacekeeping history. As for his peers, Tall ignored the shiver of frustration that threatened to run down his back and instead focused on his superior officer on the opposite side of the room. I am having trouble understanding, esteemed squad intelligence leader Dale. The humans are hyper-compatible with the Nama system. The hive leader's eyes seemed to bore into the relatively young intelligence leader, and Tall almost felt a sense of sympathy for her. Almost. Y yes glorious hive leader, I, we, were performed any additional testing with the humans, having revoked access to Nama's following IGC's command, but based on the initial testing as well as the results of the simulation training, we believe that something about their cerebral architecture makes them savants at wielding end tools. 
G.H.L. Neymar reached out with his hand to rub the crests above his eyes. Had the quarians noses instead of olfactory pads, Tor was certain that the hive leader would be rubbing that instead. Perhaps I'm not the only one the humans have been rubbing off on, he thought. Dayal took the hive leader's silence as encouragement to continue and said, Any real explanation as to how or why would probably just be a conjecture and little more than pseudoscientific theories at this point. We suspect it has to do with the fact that somewhere around 60% of human brain's mass involved the visual processing. Maybe. The hive leader tilted his head first one way and then the other before flattening a wing of ascent for the squad intelligence leader to continue. Nodding, Dayal tried to not let her nervousness show in her wings as she attempted to explain her research group's best hypothesis. Their neural architecture is also so adept at pattern recognition and signal processing that when confronted with literally nothing, their brains will create connections and patterns for them. Again, this is most pronounced with the vision centers of the brain, but also extends to all other senses, including taste and touch. The scientist paused, realizing that she was probably beginning to bore the non-intelligence members of the meeting. This is to say that expression of such features isn't unusual. The Zays also devote most of the brain mass towards visual pattern recognition, but they have five pairs of eyes on the oldest members of the race. The humans, like us, just have two. The tall glanced around the room, the shifting of irritation evident on the other squad overleaders, though the hive leader's wings were motionless as ever. Looking at Dial, he cleared his throat faintly, just enough for her to hear, but not loud enough for the pedestal to pick up. She glanced at him, her faceted eyes taking in the silent motion for her to get to the point causing her to jump and begin speaking faster. Right, so, um, the humans are already poised to accept any and all sensory input and pattern into the appropriate signals, thoughts, and ideas. So much so that all Nama has to do is parallel that illusionary input and construct around that human's mind is telling the human what's supposed to be right there in front of them. Normally, the end tool projects an encoded model into the wheel of sensory areas of the brain, then lets the subfund's mind fill in the rest of the model with the necessary information to reproduce it using the Nama's hardware. The humans, they don't need that step. Despite attempts to the contrary, Tall and Dayal could easily hear the muttering of the squad over leaders around them holding quick conferences with unseen members of their leadership teams. The Hive Leader, for his part, remained silent as he slowly digested the intelligence officer's report. After a few minutes, the room quietened down and one of the other squad overleaders spoke up as the eye crest furrowed briefly in confusion. Do you mean to say, esteemed squad intelligence leader, that humans live perpetually in a semi-hallucinary state? Dayal hesitated, giving a glance to Tall who shuffled forward and backwards for a moment before replying, No, well... Not precisely. While it is true that humans can experience hallucinations when going for too long between sleep cycles, taking too many sleep cycles, not getting enough sustenance, imbibing or ingesting certain chemical compounds, suffering from illness, experiencing severe mental or physical trauma, receiving too much sensory input, receiving too little sensory input, or by virtue of one of other dozen human-identified mental illnesses or cognitive dysfunctions. Delayer trailed off as she realized each of the squad overseers in the room were staring at her, with the wings rigid in alarm. At a loss for words, she turned back to Tall, her own wings shivering in worry as the blue, 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 blue blush gracing her cheeks.
He is so tall, took a deep breath and stepped step forward into parade rest before picking up with Delaya left off. What my intelligence officer is trying to say is that, yes, it is possible for humans to undergo hallucinatory experiences on an irregular basis throughout their lives. However, the human psyche is sufficiently well equipped to handle these experiences to the point that it's seen as an infantile indulgence to partake in involuntary hallucinations. For the most part, however, the human brain is quite capable of distinguishing fact from fiction, except for in the most extreme circumstances. Circumstances, I should point out, that would necessarily prohibit humans from serving any peacekeeping role. Before he had even finished speaking, an outburst came from several other assembled squad leaders, while others appeared to be speaking animatedly with thin air. Only Hive leader Neymar was silent, looking at Dayal and Tall, his dark blue faceted eyes considering each of them in turn. Tall ignored the fidgeting intelligence officer next to him and stayed at a familiar parade rest while the auditory pads picked up bits and pieces of conversations around him. Biologically insane! Imperative that we deny them access to all IGC technology immediately, temporarily to embargo until we can sort this out. How could they ever tell friend from foe? The arguments around the room were immediately silenced with a wave of the glorified hive leader's hand. Whether by muting every other projected overleader or by virtue of his action alone, esteemed squad leader Toll, despite the fragile nature of the human psyche and what you witnessed firsthand during the Nama training exercise, you still recommend immediate adoption of human forces within our peacekeeping ranks in our role as the human's IGC ambassador race. Why? I did, gloried one. Toll paused, as making sure every single Corleon in the room was looking at him before he continued. To be honest, it would be a practice in futility to deny humans access to the technology. They are a highly ingenuitive race that seems to take pleasure in testing boundaries. When we learned the effects of ethyl alcohol on humans, it was similarly banned during training, not even a full lunar cycle later. One of our trainees had to be reprimanded because we had discovered a still that he'd constructed from scrap metal and clay capable of producing pure alcohol from fermented idola berries stolen from the mess. And yet, the humans were some of the finest soldiers I've ever had the pleasure of training. Their discipline is exemplary and is matched only by their willingness to improve themselves and those around them. There is a reason, glorified hive leader, that we were selected as their ambassador race, beyond just physiological and climatological similarities. GHL Nermal leaned back against the stand as he mulled over Tal's words in silence while the rest of the squad leaders awaited his response. De Yela and her nervousness had slumped back against the stand as she stood at, briefly letting her eyes flick back and forth between the two peacekeepers, unable to keep her wings still amidst the tension in the room. Finally, Nermal said with a quick in his eye crests, Very well, honored squad overleader. What would you have the Corleon peacekeepers do with the junior race? Toll's wing shifted briefly as his sudden social rank promotion, but he managed to return to the same quirk of his eye crest. I believe we should put the humans' pension for him, creative problem-solving and antipathy towards boredom to use. Two lunar cycles, or about three human months later, Hey, Nat, Earth to Nat! Nathaniel Hudson jumped and jerked around the airtight picnic table that he was sitting at, having been caught daydreaming again. Giving a sheepish smile, he nodded at the person had settled into the table across from him. Hey, Becca Joe, what's up? 
Always Becca Joe, or never just Becca or Joe, he thought to himself. Becca Joe grinned and shook her head, hair going everywhere. Jeez, been calling you for like half an hour. Where have you been, Calico Five? Nathaniel ran a hand over through his own short hair and glanced at the well-lit park around them, trying to remember what he was thinking about. I was just thinking it's almost a perfect place, but it's missing a breeze and squirrels, maybe a bird or two. His friend's smile seemed to falter slightly, but then grew back as she placed her tablet onto the table between them. Don't let the suits hear you say that, otherwise they'll make you sit through the Echo Realms trademarked authentic Terran Recreations presentation as if you were a freshman all over again. It's a perfect recreation, remember? He rolled his eyes and shook his head with a sigh. Yeah, right. I cannot wait to get off the station. Becca Joe kicked him under the picnic table in a fake pout. Ah, Mr. Graduate already sick of his friends. Wincing, he gave her a grin and reached down and rubbed his shin. Hey, no fair. You know I didn't mean it like that. I know, she said with a smile. So what's the plan then? Back to Earth, live with the rents, or do you have something lined up that I don't know about? Nat scratched idly at the table. The plastic resin looked close to, but a poor imitation for real wood. Back to the parents, probably. I could sign up with the Eco-Realms. All Eco-Realms university graduates get automatic placement and all that. But I don't know. I'm given that army pamphlet we got in the Korea Fair some serious consideration. Well, Mr. Hudson, you're in luck, because that's where I wanted to talk to you about. Check this out. Becca Joe slid a tablet over to him, giving it a swipe of the fingers to turn that revealing Galnat site that could modestly be described as garish. Nathaniel raised an eyebrow as he read the blinking banner at the top of the page out loud. Now recruiting for the Intergalactic Council of Human Corps of Engineers. End of story number three.